the future. All right, let's get started. I don't think this is going to be a long one because it's a pretty short book, but we are covering Delivering Happiness by Tony. I have no idea how to say his last name. Um, if anybody can tell me, that'd be great. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> um, so this guy is, uh, I'm going to mute Alex because he's super loud. Um, this guy is one of the founders of Zappos, which is there's a huge online shoe store, in case you've never heard of it. Um, and this book was a little strange because in the past we've done much more like academic-ish books or like somebody's system for something in business. And this was really more of a memoir of his like whole career, like from the time he was a child <laughs> all the way through. Um, and there, the thing that was neat, like it was kind of neat to think, you know, when I order stuff from Zappos or, or Amazon or whatever, you just think like what it is now. You don't necessarily think that way back when it was a struggling startup and they didn't know if they were going to make their payroll and, you know, they had to live like week to week, month to month. I can't even imagine how stressful that was, but, uh, you know, I thought that was kind of a neat story. Um, but he does drop some great little bits of advice. Um, let me see. I'm going to find something interesting. Mm -mm -mm. Um, okay, so one of the things... <laughs> When I talk to clients, I usually tell them not to cut marketing, right? And Alex, you probably get to deal with this all the time, people wanting to cut marketing budgets. But they actually, in one of their cash crunches, had a time where they realized that they had to cut money somewhere and they cut it from marketing and they knew it would stop their growth, but they wanted to refocus on selling more to their existing customers. And I was like, oh, that's kind of different. <laughs> different than how I normally think about marketing. So people have a tendency to confuse marketing with advertising mm. and advertising is an extremely small part of marketing, although it's the exciting part. So people pay attention to it. Your main thing in marketing is figuring out, you know, who is your customer? How are you acquiring them? And what are you selling to them? So when you're cutting your advertising dollars to focus on your existing clients, that's not cutting marketing, that's cutting advertising. Cutting marketing is when you start to do really suicidal things like fire your email department that contacts your customers or you know, don't do any of the other things that communicate with your customers. So new customer acquisition is probably the least important part of marketing but it's the most interesting to the sales department and most CEOs are former salesmen. So the only part of marketing anyone pays attention to is new customer acquisition and advertising. But as you see with Zappos, it's very much a customer driven company versus you know, a marketing driven or a sales driven company. Their focus is on what is the experience of Zappos and the, and the customers and the people that are working there. And that's a very different approach, which allows you to cut advertising without cutting your marketing, which is a key distinction that you're that is often missed. Because they turned their marketing, or no, they turned their customer service into marketing in a sense, right, Bet? 
Yeah, that was actually so fa fascinating. So <laughs> if you've ever had to call anybody's customer support, customer service, it's usually a nightmare. Um, I've had more recent experiences that were much more pleasant, but um, okay, so I'm a CPA, call the IRS a lot. You wanna talk about bad customer service? <laughs> That's a prime example. But he talks about how instead of thinking of it as like this, you know, burden that the company has to deal with their customers and here we're going to do it as cheaply and crappily as possible, they invested in it and they considered it an arm of their marketing because these people were having a lot of touch points with their customers. And it, I guess it shouldn't seem so revolutionary, but I guess it kind of was. I think a lot of people should take note when it comes to that. I do nurture, not nurture what you do have, not what you don't have. Right. But, but I think you hit the nail on the head, both of you, that it's really about the points and how they experience the brand. You know, customer service. In a marketing-driven company like Zappos, marketing affects kind of every piece of the puzzle, not just the advertising. So what does your customer think? You know, Capital One discovered, uh, got to be close to 20 years ago now, that if you call people up and try to sell them on a loan, they don't want to talk to you. But if they're calling in to talk to you about something else, they're happy to talk to you about new services after you've solved their problems. So they put into their customer service script, and this was way before AI and machine learning made it easy, you know, figuring out what was the right service to offer people. And their uptake was so much higher than when they were kind of cold calling. So I think that that's really, you know, you're, you're again, you know, there's a reason you see the term account manager now. It's as opposed to customer service. You know, what is the experience? What is your what is your customer experience? Do they like you? Do they want to do more business with you? Because they like you, they'll do more business with you. If they hate you, well, if you have a monopoly like Comcast, they'll still do business with you. But for the rest of us, we go out of business. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> and I think that that brings us back to what Bet was telling me about earlier, which is they're very culture oriented. So uh, it's all about culture. And if you don't fit the culture, then you're kind of out of there, right? Is that what they were saying? Yeah, they, they, they focus like super heavily in culture. Um, and what I thought was interesting was they actually refer back to a book that we covered before, Good to Great. And they quote it repeatedly that, you know, you, you need to, I mean, he doesn't say the specific line, but my favorite thing from that book is you have to get the right people in the right seat on the bus. And he has like kind of a similar analogy, not necessarily with the people, but he talks about how he used to play a lot of poker, um, like almost professionally. And one of the most important things he learned was you had to make sure you got to be on the right table, right? So there's a lot of like the being in the right environment, like is your business in the right industry or doing the right thing you know do you have the right people there developing your culture and it's like honestly who out there has never worked <laughs> in a toxic work environment <laughs> uh i think we've all been there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but culture matters a lot i think you know it, if you develop a company culture of like backstabbing and you know, not being helpful and like sabotaging your coworkers and stuff. Like that's a terrible place 
to to work. Um, and I kind of like that saying, how you do one thing is how you do all things. So if if you're a company that can't take care of your employees and can't like create a nice environment, you're, you're not going to take care of your customers either. Right. And they kind of wanted that to be their thing. Like they wanted it to be like, we're super great to our employees. We're super great to our customers. We're super great to our vendors. And they did whatever they could to make that happen, even in bad times. Like they said, there was a couple of weeks or months where every week they had to go through and decide, like make those hard decisions, like which vendors can we actually pay? Like, who can we push off? Who can we renegotiate? Who's bugging us that they really want to get paid or not? And I don't know. I've been there at other places. It's, it's not fun. It's not a fun position to be in. So they, um, they would have little, um, seminars for their employees, right? Yeah, they did. They do like all kinds of training. They have like their own um, uh, like manager development program. I have an Alex raising a hand. (laughs) Well, I will say one of the things in the book, and this is, uh, you know, you kind of alluded to, uh, this was probably my least favorite business book we've read in book club uh, Mm -hmm. because of really the heavy memoir focus, because the part we're really talking about is really the insights he had in building Zappos. And this was brand new because like you, there was a lot of like memory lane kind of a thing going on because, you know, when this was going on, we were in college or or, uh, I was in the Boston startup scene for a lot of this. And it, you know, it was a lot of like, oh yeah, we were creating all this stuff as we go. You know, I, I remember talking to, you know, some of my younger colleagues and they kind of take for granted, of course you have a CRM database of all your customers and you know every transaction. And I'm like, you, you know, we used to have to write database queries for this. And they're like, huh? You know, th- this sort of a world Zappos was creating, you know, up until this point, the only company that had really done good work with CRMs uh, were Capital One and Victoria's Secret. And those were the kind of case studies you had on everything. And Zappos really hit it on the head of, if your customers are happy, you'll sell more stuff to them. So, but, but I think like his kind of experiences that got him there are really interesting. And, you know, it just, it went on too long and before they got to the meat of the book. Yeah. Well, he was really into talking about himself. <laughs> uh, but I think he was trying to, I think he was trying to show like how early um, experiences kind of shaped him and how he brought that forward like early on he talks about how um he was like really into the rave culture and like the rave scene and him and all his friends would go to these raves and I was and I'm like I hear that and I'm thinking like all right you're like you know doing a lot of drugs and dancing all night long and apparently there's like a whole community involved in the rave scene and this guy was like every step of the way he's so into community he's so into like the people who are around him like being interested in the same things and being supportive of each other um and it really made me think also of another book we read fanocracy uh, and he seemed to like internalize kind of what that the author of fanocracy found you know he's like okay making fans out of my employees making fans out of my customers he found other uh areas where he just really liked to be um I don't know, just part of a group. Because uh, at one point they talk about when they moved out of San Francisco, they moved their headquarters to Las Vegas. And part of what he liked was that nobody who worked for them like had any connections to Las Vegas. So you had to work with everyone. You had to be friends with everyone because you didn't know anybody else. You became like literally Zappos family 
which uh, sounds a little cultish. I don't know. I, don't know if I was about to say, like, does it get a little elitist at some point or a little like, uh, I, was, I don't know. I would say cult, more like a cult. Um, you know, like I, if you don't fit this mold, then you're not. Yeah. Kind of deal. Yeah, like that. I could Just see. Like oh, I guess Alex dropped off. Oh, I think we lost him and his not so great connection. Um, let me see. What else can we? Oh, one of the things is great. I don't know which little. Oh, here it is. I found it. They so he talks about how when they first decided to go from drop shipping, which apparently they were like the first people to drop ship shoes, and what that means is they would go directly to the manufacturers and say like, hey. If someone wants to buy like a pair of size eight sneakers from you, New Balance, can you just ship that right from your warehouse factory, like right to them? Like that's basically what drop shipping is. It means they don't have to hold the inventory. And like nobody had ever done this for shoes before. And it was a crazy hard thing for them to develop. And eventually they started buying some of their own inventory. But, you know, if you're trying to sell to like everybody, <laughs> imagine it. Like I think I have a lot of shoes. <laughs> I'm sure like hundreds of thousands of shoes they had to put it somewhere and somebody sold them on like outsourcing that whole warehousing system and it was in Kentucky so they had to literally truck all the shoes from San Francisco to Kentucky and after a couple months they found out like their orders weren't getting filled the the um the warehouse like they couldn't take in their stock they couldn't inventory and they end up going out and basically doing their own they built out their own warehouse in Kentucky they had to build their own software to manage it like they literally had to build everything and I remember <laughs> so I pointed this out to my kids there was like this one guy like you know how a lot of companies have like the do that one do everything guy they took their one do everything guy and they were like listen we need you to get on a plane to Kentucky <laughs> and go and uh you know go fix this and the guy was like okay well can I leave like tomorrow they're like no there's a flight in an hour you have to be on it and he's like okay and then he they says in there he, the poor guy had to call someone to make arrangements for somebody to take care of his dog I was like this is so sad and he ended up being there for months <laughs> yeah he moved to Kentucky or, or two years or something it was something crazy before he was like finally able to not be in Kentucky and I'm like that's not cool <laughs> But good yeah. for him. I hope he. I hope he made a lot of money there. <laughs> yeah, that's a I lot of a lot of stock that. options or something. Because <laughs> that was crazy. But the whole point of that nutty story is that they. He has this quote. It's like italicized. Never outsource your core competency, right? Oof. And it seems like it's obvious, but I don't know. I've been guilty of, of trying to do that. Like, oh, if I could just hire someone else to be me. <laughs> Right. Somebody else will do all the work and take care of the clients and blah blah blah. And I'll just sit here and look pretty. Like <laughs> I'll just sit here and make Facebook videos all day. <laughs> but it doesn't work. Really don't care the same that you would about your clients because they're not exactly. their clients. Exactly their on the line. And it's funny because you would think like the people they outsourced it to would care about them as a client and making them happy, mm. but it seemed like it was too big of a job for what what they were capable of doing and that was yeah. part of the problem so yeah yeah let me see what else is interesting in here yeah like the main takeaway from the book oh also big takeaway and i kind of you know hinted at this in my video yesterday money does not buy you happiness <laughs> this guy sold like he made like millions and millions of dollars and after he sells like his first business it's not zappos it's a different business sold to microsoft and he's like 
yeah, I had like $20 million. And so I bought like a new, like, gen- like it wasn't anything special. I bought a new car. It was like, I don't know. It was like a Honda Accord. Like it was, it wasn't that, but it was something like really whatever. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't like you went out and bought like a Lamborghini. It was just like, I just need a car to like put her around. He bought a condo, he got a new computer. And it's like, now what? Now what am I going to do? <laughs> You're right. thinking like $20 million, you can't find anything to do. Um, right. It's all about motivation and where you're at mentally and spiritually and even physically. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it doesn't matter if, if the sky's the limit. If I don't have the motivation to get up from bed, then why does it matter? Um, exactly. Exactly. Basics when it comes to, you know, health and happiness and recognizing that you're not going to find it in a dollar amount, but you will find it if you're doing your purpose, right? And you're doing the thing that makes yes. you want to wake up in the morning. A hundred, 110%. Because um, he, he says at one point, I don't think I flagged it, but he talks about after he sold that business, he's like, what makes me happy? He's like being with my friends. Well, that's not a shock because the guy freaking building like <laughs> a cult everywhere he goes. Uh, but yeah, being with friends, working on cool projects, trying to build something. So this was all things that made him happy. Uh, and I guess he was okay dealing with the stress of like trying to run a business that was nearly shutting down every month for like 10 years <laughs> until they got bought by Amazon. But um, so do you think know. he's happy? What? Do you think he's happy? Um, well, you know, okay. So, you know, it's interesting. He said when he, when they did the deal with Amazon, Right. And Amazon started talking to them in like 2005. They didn't finish that deal until 2009 or 2010. He said they wouldn't take cash. They did not want it to be a cash deal because they didn't want it to feel like they really sold the business. They didn't, they wanted to keep growing and doing what they were doing the way they were doing it. Like they wanted to still have their employees be like super loyal and have their culture. And they felt like if they did a stock exchange instead, that that would let it still feel the way, oh, we got Alex back, still let it feel the way it did when they created it. So I thought that was an interesting thing. I'm guessing the guy's happy. He also like became a speaker. He figured out ways to make himself unhappy as a speaker (laughs) until he figured out like, um, I forget where it is in here. He talks about like, uh, he would go on the road speaking and he realized that there was, only like a a certain way that people were receptive to him talking and he had to be passionate, tell personal stories and be real. Right. And everyone these days talks about authenticity because everyone on the internet is like fake as hell. So I think he realized like, Oh, if you're not authentic, when you speak, you're not engaging and nobody cares. Like you can memorize whatever you want. It's just not interesting. So I, I thought that was kind of a neat little tidbit. Um, He's got a lot of great things in here. Like if anybody's um, looking for board members or investors, he's got like top 10 questions to ask. He's got like a lot of really neat reference things. It's not the focus of the book, believe it or not, <laughs> but it was neat stuff that he put in there. Um, and then he's got this whole thing at the end about happiness. Uh, he has a happiness framework. Um, uh, I, I, I assume he's happy now because He's got these frameworks. He uses the Maslow's hierarchy uh, to figure out how healthy are you, or happy rather. Different types of happy. There's pleasure happy, 
where you're a rock star chasing the next high, passion where you, you're in flow and engaged and time flies and a higher purpose is being part of something bigger than yourself. So I think he definitely hit that higher purpose with, um, with Zappos. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, he's, he's, he's tapping in on the fact that like people will choose purpose over happiness any day, you know, like having children fills your purpose, but it doesn't necessarily make you happy. Right. Kids are like, (laughs) there are many days. (laughs) where you're not happy but overall it does give you purpose it's true (laughs) and you and you you think to yourself like this adds to my identity you know and like yeah totally my legacy and this is my purpose is to be this person's parent and you know and that is that's way better than you know those fleeting moments of joy so i think you need those fleeting moments of joy it keeps you going sprinkled in there for sure but um yeah it helps you get through the drudgery of finding your higher purpose when <laughs> you have a little bit of a a pleasure here and there <laughs> um i i don't i don't think i have anything else to take away from this but you know i think they were like the pioneers of really customer focused business i think that would be my biggest takeaway is that you know um, got to make your customers happy got to make everyone who deals with your customers happy as well so that they make your customers happy maybe like be a good person yeah he's really into happiness and yeah. i like it. yeah all right well this you know when you're a multi-millionaire by the time you're 25 you need something else to uh interest you right. uh so you, but but i mean you see this you see when you're not chasing you know, the rat race, what happens when you've hit more financial success by 25 than most people will ever see in like five lifetimes. You see the, you know, rave culture, the drug, the drug issue, the bro culture of the apartment. Like you, like you see the dark side of what happens with early success. You know, there, there are some like Gates who go and, you know, Zuckerberg who go on and build giant empires. And there are plenty of you know, early Silicon Valley guys that have killed themselves or died from drug overdoses. So, you know, this is, you know, his focus on happiness seems flip, but I don't think it is if you remember what that world was like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. Wow. Sorry, I'm bringing it on down. That's that's really (laughs) deep and that makes sense. All right, now say something happy, Alex. (laughs) No, I, I think that, you know, one of the big takeaways from this thing is whether it's a business or in life, you need to kind of figure out what it is that you want to do. And if you engineer your life to be happy and you engineer your business to be happy and your employee, you know, you fill it with employees that want to be happy and customers to be happy, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we spend a lot of time quantifying kind of falls into place, you know, like instead of measuring positive and negative touch points, what if they're all positive? Now you don't have to worry about negative touch points. You know, but 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 it seems silly. But how quickly do you know the negative experiences turn into like now Yelp reviews all over the place versus you know a conscious effort to have a happy organization that's happy about its customers? So I, I thought that part of it was it felt flip on first read, but when thinking of the context that he's writing it in, I thought it was a very interesting, you know, thought. Nice, yeah. If you care, it shows. Yeah. absolutely definitely all right well this was a fun one it was a little strange i agree i was not my favorite one of the series but i didn't dislike it it just 
it it wasn't like so um earth shattering it didn't have like those big like aha moments um but it was still cool it was a cool book uh okay so let me just say march so we're actually putting up all the book clubs for the whole year you know people were asking me like well when are you doing this when are you doing that they're all going up <laughs> it will all be events on facebook but our march one is failing forward turning mistakes into stepping stones for success who hasn't mm -hmm. failed <laughs> so that should be neat i hope yeah. awesome all right thank you guys Woo. bye see you in march yeah